Welcome, everyone. This is Sasha on Moving Mountains. Today, I have the pleasure of welcoming Hollywood actress and producer Megan Davis. Her acting portfolio work includes American Horror Story, Two Broke Girls, Bones, nominated for a Best Actress Award by the Los Angeles Independent Film Festival for her portrayal of a prescription pill addict in the short thriller Adverse Effect. Today, we explore the realm of acting, self-development, and learning how to revel in the joy of living your best life. Welcome, Megan, to Moving Mountains. Thank you. Acknowledging that you are a very well-known actress and producer in Hollywood, would you be kind in sharing with the audiences how you started out? Sure. Uh, overview. Yeah, well, I, I've always said that I, I think that if someone can do anything other than act, they should, uh, because it's such a challenging thing to take on in life there's so much rejection there's there's so much um, unknown but there's also so much reward to it and I always knew that it was what I wanted to do you know I was the little kid that would would clean all the floors by hand in our house and sing Castle on a Cloud from Les Mis because I I loved the character of Cosette and my mom was happy because our floors were clean uh, but my my uncle at the time uh, was making commercials, um, and he was making commercials for a grocery store that I don't I don't know if it's around anymore, but it was big back then, and for the company Up With Trees um, that plants trees across America, and he asked if I wanted to be in them. He said it would be just like playing dress up and playing make believe at home, except I'd be doing it in front of a camera. And so, of course, I did. And uh, and I thought it was so fun, and, and I thought he was right, and it was just as fun as doing it at home and in the kitchen. So that's kind of how I started um, as a kid. My my family didn't want to move to L.A., even though I did. So I, I spent, you know, until I was 18 in Oklahoma, and I did – I sang opera professionally, and I did, you know, tons of plays um, and work there, but obviously there wasn't a huge film industry there, so I didn't really start doing film and TV until I was in college at the University of Arizona and moved to L.A. It seems to appear very comfortable in front of audiences from a young age. Is there any particular audience where you feel more at home at? compared to going about in uncharted territory? I think it's more about, for me, I would say it's more about the comfortability level I feel with the material. Uh, If I was doing something that I had just learned the night before, I would feel a lot less comfortable um, than if I, you know, had been working on that play for, for a couple of months in rehearsal because if you're going out on stage as a character you've been working on for a couple of months, there, 
there isn't really the same nerves because you, you know that person. It's kind of just like going out there as yourself. In fact, at times it can be even less scary than going out there as yourself. Um, but I always get a little nervous. I think everybody gets a little nervous. Um, and, and hopefully once you walk out there and you get started and you fall into that, you know, beautiful space between who you are and who you've created, then the nerves fall away. But I, I always am nervous right before. You make a good point about the nerves because it helps us segue into what I was going to follow up with, that are there any roles that you took on because they were exciting? And then are there any roles that you have may have talked yourself out of because the nerves were too high? I've never talked myself out of a role because I was too nervous about it. Um, I've turned down roles because I didn't believe that it was right for me or I didn't feel a connection to the script or to the character um, or I just felt that the kind of general energy of the piece wasn't something that I resonated with. Um, and I've turned down roles as a woman because I, I didn't believe that there's a lot of roles that are written for, for women where they're kind of just there as a sex object, and I don't believe in that. So um, I've turned down a lot of those type of roles. Um, but I, I'm excited about every I, – I can't – I'm trying to think if there's any role that I haven't been excited about that I've played. I don't think there is. Um, they're all exciting for different reasons. I've definitely been more excited and more nervous. I, I'm usually the most nervous when it's a real person uh, because I, I just I want to make sure that they feel that I honored them. And you do reference that in your career insights as in the movie Famous where you were also the producer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, oh, yeah, with um, the role. Well, it wasn't technically based on a real person. Uh, it was kind of a, an amalgamation of, of different, um, different people, different types of people that existed at the time, you know, kind of all in one character. Um, but when... Corey Feldman, so, so the play is, is, you know, loosely based on the stories of Corey Feldman and Corey Haim and River Phoenix. And when Corey Feldman saw it, and his brother also saw it, um, they, they came more than once, but the first time that they came, he and his brother said that I reminded them exactly of this girl that he used to date at that time, at the time the play took place. And I thought that was such a huge compliment because... To me, that means, you know, that at least I was able to touch the truth of that character. Um, if it reminded someone who was there, who was present at the time and the space in which the, the play and the story took place, then, then that hopefully meant that, you know, I was able to come close to the truth of that person. And so I, I took that as a very huge compliment. And you have a very remarkable body of work that entails bones, two broke girls, animus, adverse effects. And in your role in adverse effects, you play Samantha, who is a addict. From your experiences, what are a few realities of addiction that get overlooked? Doesn't matter what type of addiction it is. What is the human element that needs some attention? That's such a good question. Addiction is such a hard subject because it is a sickness. 
it is a disease, but it's not the same as, you know, someone who has cancer. You know, they're sick. They, they most of the time, I mean, didn't do anything to bring that about. Half the time people get cancer who've never smoked a cigarette in their life. And, and it affects the whole family, you know, when someone is sick, when someone is dying. Addiction is so different because it is a choice and at the same time it's not, but there is help available. And I think you just really have to want it. You know, when I, I, I used to have a very, very bad drug addiction when I was younger and there was nothing anyone could do for me until I wanted to change, you know, and that's a very hard thing for, for families, for parents, for siblings to, to deal with. It's, I mean, I have tons of people in my life that I love that have been on the other side of it. You know, I was on the side of being the one who was addicted to drugs. And it's been interesting as an adult to see people that I care about be on the other side, be the family members of the addict. And I feel for them because obviously they, they want so badly to just love that person into being better. And there just isn't any way to do that. Thank you for sharing that. I know it is a sensitive topic to coexist with. In terms of your personal experiences, did the addiction come looking for you or were you trying to seek a higher purpose that led you down that path? Yeah, I think, and I mean, this answer actually will kind of answer probably better your last question as well. I think addiction for me, and I can only speak for myself, addiction wasn't a problem and in, in my experience, it, it was me that was the problem. But the, the drugs and the alcohol, they were my solution, meaning that I was so full of fear. I was so full of pain, and I didn't know how to handle it. I had so many emotions as a young kid. I was living in a place, you know, in Oklahoma. I don't necessarily agree with a lot of the, the ways in which certain things are pushed on people in Oklahoma, in my opinion, but um, Tulsa is a really beautiful town, uh, but I just struggled with living there. I struggled with living in the Bible Belt. I struggled with having a lot of emotions because our society does tend to tell people that they shouldn't have very many emotions and they certainly shouldn't have them out loud or, you know, in public for anyone to see. And the best way that I could find to manage those emotions at the time was drugs and alcohol, or at least I thought it was. And so for a while, it felt like it helped me because I felt like I was happy. I was able to, to not feel everything so deeply. I was able to escape from my own mind. I was able to escape from my own problem until all of a sudden it was, you know, all of a sudden the solution stopped working. And I wasn't able to escape from them anymore. In fact, I was, no matter how many drugs I did, they just got louder and louder and, and stronger and stronger. But by then, you've, you've crossed this threshold of knowing how to live without them. So I, I don't necessarily know that I feel that they came looking for me or that I came looking for them as much as that I found them, as, you know, a lot of people do at some point um, experiment and just who I was 
especially at that time, it was like the perfect storm for me falling in love with them. This brings us to explore the aspect of acting. Some people say acting grants them an opportunity to escape from who they are in their reality. On the other hand, acting could also serve as a calling, calling you home. So is acting bringing you home to where you just feel inner peace? Yeah. I I don't have that experience of of, um, feeling like acting helps me to escape from my reality. I I am in a, a, you know, very good place, I guess. I enjoy my reality as me, as a person. I enjoy my life. But I do feel the second thing you said very deeply. I, I feel so calm. Uh, when I get to be on stage or get to be in front of a camera. And it's so funny because during this pandemic, um, you know, obviously, especially for the first part of it, there was no acting at all. Um, You know, I've been fortunate enough to work in in the middle of the pandemic to film the movie and to do some online theater, which has been very interesting. But, But right before the pandemic, I was, you know, in live theater shows for pretty much three or four years straight. And I didn't realize how much might feel like my body needs it because I could not sleep once the pandemic started. I I never feel as peaceful as I do after I've finished a live show. You know, I feel exhausted, but I feel happier in that moment than in any other moment in my life. So it does feel like a coming home in a way. You know that feeling when everything just kind of clicks in your body and you're you're at peace with the moment? It's a beautiful feeling. Yeah, I think that's, that's how I feel when I get to act. Your work represents many different genres, and I found it very cool that you studied that second city. What was the turning point that made you go, okay, I need to extend my abilities and I'm going to try comedy? Because for some people, comedy could be very scary or other people have a misconception of comedy and they go find out that it's actually work. Yeah. (laughs) It was because I was scared of it. So and and more so improv than comedy. I I always loved comedy and I'd done I had done at that time quite a few comedic plays, but improv is such a huge part of acting as a whole. Um, you know more more so than people even I think know or think. Uh, almost every play I've ever done, we spend multiple sessions of rehearsal improving as the characters, and that serves so many purposes. You know and and. Uh, tons of TV and, and film work that I've done, some of the best moments are improv. Um, you know, that was the case on American Horror Story. Uh, Sarah Paulson asked me right before our scene if we could just play around a little bit. And I loved that. And that's exactly why I went to Second City, because at the time, I was realizing that whenever it would come to the time in rehearsal process to do the improv, I would get nervous. Uh, I could just feel it in my body that I was nervous. And I was like, man, I got to figure this out. So I think I've always been of the belief that if you're nervous about something, you should jump into it headfirst as much as you can. So I was like, what's the, the scariest thing I could do if my fear is improv? And what I came up with was 
work at Second City. Uh, when it comes mm-hmm. to improv, is it more important to trust the process or trust the person with whom you're doing the improv? I think it's the most important to trust the person and to trust yourself. You know, I think one of the biggest rules of improv, because there are specific rules, um, is that you don't say no. And, you know, if you think about that, just in kind of a, a microcosm of an example, it, you know, if you and I were doing an improv, and I said, is this your $1 bill? And you said, no, there's not a lot of places to go from there. Right. You know? Good point. Um, you're kind of like, okay, well, all right, nice talking to you. Um, but if I were to say, you know, is this your $1 bill? And you said, yeah, did I drop that? All of a sudden, you have different avenues that you can go from there. You know, why did you drop it? Um, did you drop it? Am I just making it up? You know, there's there's so many different ways to take this story. And so if you say no, you're not only shutting off your own creativity, but you're shutting off the avenues for the other person. So I think the most important thing is is to trust yourself, you know, and, and I think the desire to say no comes out of a fear of not trusting yourself. Because as we know as human beings, it's always scarier to to acknowledge our power than it is to to make ourselves smaller. And that's true of every human being. So, of course, it would be true in art, since art is merely a reflection of reality. And I think that's something that you can take into any acting genre, you know, that, that's not just improv, is you, you need to trust yourself. You know, there's, there's going to be nights where you're on stage and the entire set starts falling down, because that's happened to me. Uh, there's going to be nights here on stage and the power goes out because that's also happened. And you have to find your way out of it. You know, I got left on stage one time for, I think, six minutes because I, an, an actor forgot a prop. And so instead of just doing the scene without it, they were like, let me go retrieve that. And they just left, which meant that a six-minute monologue just had to be made up in the moment, you know. But those are sometimes the most fun moments you know when the set started falling down we just as a cast started pretending that there was an earthquake you touch upon trust so as the trust factor within yourself increases does it help you tap into the vulnerability better of course yeah of course I think this is I mean I I believe that the best thing you can do as an artist is always keep working on yourself um you know, I, I was just reading a book called The Worthy Project, which is all about self-worth and kind of the, the um, cycles we get into of, of worthlessness and the cycles that we get into of, of worthiness. And, you know, I read things like that all of the time because I think it's so important to grow as a person because as you grow as a person, your art grows and your ability to portray human life grows. And... So I think it's it's only natural that the more that you can find the trust within yourself, the more vulnerable you'll be able to be in public or, I mean, what would be considered in public on stage or, or in front of the camera. Though it's funny because on stage doesn't feel public to me. It still feels private. But, um, you know, I think, and, and it's true vulnerability, right, then because because you're not trying to perform. You know, I think there have definitely been times, especially when I was a younger actor, 
but even now where, you know, I've been able to bring my myself to tears as the character and what would seem vulnerable, but wasn't truly vulnerable because I didn't trust myself enough to let myself either get there or not naturally. You know, sometimes I think as an actor, you get a certain picture in your head of what you think a scene or a moment should look like. And you have that moment of either letting go and trusting that what happens is what is natural and what is authentic and what's supposed to happen, or of choosing to try and use technique or or use tactics to force yourself to get to where you feel the character should be, you know? And I think that's one of the hardest things, or at least has been for me, is letting go of those ideas of what I think the moment should look like. Letting go of those ideas of what I think, you know, the character should be where I think they should be emotionally and allowing myself to live where they are emotionally and trusting that the authentic emotion will come in the moment. You're also able to extend your abilities to produce things And I've heard people in passing interchangeably use the terms producing and directing. Would you be able to distinguish between what producers do versus directors than the obvious? Yeah, I mean, sure, a totally, totally different job. Um, Directing, directing, I mean, there's so much a director does from from the very beginning of, of, you know, if they, sometimes directors are also the writer, oftentimes they're not, so... Uh, from the very beginning of getting the script, you know, the director has a vision and the director is the one who, you know, guides every department because every department has its own artist, right? The photography department has the the director of photography, the cinematographer. That's a brilliant artist who's able to, you know, manipulate and, and maneuver cameras and capture beautiful images that stay with us forever. And, and there's an entire department um, underneath the director of photography. There's an AC who, who makes sure that the, the lens is in focus. And there's just, there's so many different roles in, in, in terms of film, which is just where I'm going, film and TV. There's so many different departments and the lighting department, the sound department, obviously the acting, um, and the director is responsible for all of these departments. They meet with every head of every department, they meet with everyone, they discuss, you know, the vision, they they collaborate with everyone, and ultimately, and then, you know, they sit in the edit room and they they say what they want, you know, they say, um, you know, I like this, I don't like this, because the post-production is another artistic aspect of, you know, film and TV that really gets forgotten too much of the time because the editor is, is usually a brilliant artist who either makes makes or breaks a film or, or a television show. But the director does all of that. They're, they're kind of like the captain of the ship. Um, the producer, now there's, there's different kinds of producers. There's line producers, there's executive producers, there's, you know, just producer. Um, all of those are different jobs in of themselves. But production is essentially responsible for putting the elements together and ensuring that everyone has what they need on the ship in order to keep the ship in motion. So, you know, from from finding the money, the seed money for the film, to making the deal in post-production for the film, to, you know, sitting on set and, and watching 
the monitor and, you know, oftentimes what I really love to do is creative producing, which means that I'm usually more in conversation with the artist than, you know, someone should be more on the financial side, um, you know, but often a producer will watch the dailies, they'll watch the monitor and they'll give notes. Um, you know, the director is the one who's responsible for that, but the producer will give notes. The producer, you know, has opinions. Uh, the producer works with the marketing department to ensure that, you know, either if it's a, if it's a play, for example, that, um, you know, that the flyers are being passed out, that, you know, the advertisements are up, that, and, you know, and that's not something usually a director would even have to think about because that's a part of the producer's job, a part of the marketing department's job. So the producer and director are with the project usually from the very beginning to the very end in a way that a lot of the other departments aren't. You know, a, a cinematographer's job is done when the film's wrapped. An actor's job is done when the film's wrapped. An editor's job often starts while it's still filming, but, you know, it, it is done when the film's, you know, in its going to color. So it's only similar, I suppose, in the way that they're both overseeing or, or invested in the project from the beginning to end in the way in which none of really the other artists are, um, but two completely different jobs. And you happen to work in a very multifaceted industry, and you touched upon this earlier when we began the conversation that to recommend people to not consider acting, but let's say for those prospective talents out there listening, what are a few things that they could start doing if they really do want to pursue the craft of acting? Well, I think, first of all, I would say never stop working on yourself because if I, I mean, you know, you always have that thought of like, if I had known this when I was younger or I wish that I had started this sooner, but I do wish that I had started reading and really taking uh, responsibility for my own growth as a, as a human being and as an individual earlier than I did. Um, what I What I definitely will say is, Find your people and just create with them because there's so much in this profession that's out of your control. You know, it's not like a lot of other professions where, you know, there's a, there's a set trajectory. You know, you, you know that if you start in this department, that the next step is to go to this department, which hopefully will lead you to you know, being the head of that department, which will then lead you to VP of the company, which will then lead you to COO, which then leads to CEO. You know, a lot of jobs have that trajectory in life. And I think that's something that as human beings we become accustomed to because we start off in preschool and then we go to elementary school, middle school, high school, college. You know, we are creatures of following a trajectory. You don't have that with acting. In fact, your entire livelihood is really dependent on others unless you can also write and direct and do all of those things because as an actor, you're, you're a piece of the puzzle of the creation of the artwork, but you're not necessarily that piece of the puzzle that like a writer is where they sit down and create something. You know, they don't need anyone else to write, just them in the computer. With acting, you need work, you know, unless you're also a writer. But what you can do is find the people like you that love the work, that love to create, and put on your own plays, you know, make your own short videos. We live in a time where there's so much access to 
put your content out into the world that never existed when I was, you know, a child. Facebook didn't come around until I was in middle school. So, um, you know, we, we have so much more uh, of an opportunity now to make our own art and put it out into the world than we ever did. So I would say find the people that love it just as much as you and just create with them, you know. And that will always keep you in that flow of, of creating, you know, in that excitement about the work. And, and it will be that source of, of that stillness for you. And it's also important that they hear it from you because of rejections are a part of life regardless of what you do for a living. Now, we are living in a times where social media triumphs and people are seeking self-validation and validation from the world. What are your thoughts on how these prospective people can handle rejection because it's a fact of life. You don't get to pick and choose. Social media is so hard and I I think there are so many amazing things that come from social media and there's so many detrimental things that come from social media and I think we're really seeing that more than ever now. I don't envy the position that, you know, my niece is in, for example, because she's thirteen. Her generation is so all about social media and and has grown up really with that being reality for them. And as we all know, social media is not reality. It's comparing your life to someone, you know, the, the facade of what someone else wants to show you of their life you know, because it's most of the time just positive things that people post on social media. And so it's created this kind of huge levels of comparison that, you know, we always had. Of course, I compared myself to the girls in my grade at school, you know, but I certainly didn't have to compare myself to the girls in my grade around the world. That would have been very overwhelming. And so I think that's that's a different thing altogether than the rejection that comes from being an actor, I think. But the solution part is probably similar, which is that you have to find a way to not let it be about you as a person. You know, and I think that's for every human being, right? When you go on a date and you really like the person and they don't want to go out with you again, how do you make that not about you? You know, when when my 13-year-old niece is on social media and she follows someone that she thinks is really cool from school and they don't follow her back, how does she make that not about her? You know, when you go into an audition room and you put your heart and your soul on the line and you give that character everything you have and they say, great, and then you never hear from them and your agent tells you, you know, they went a different way, how do you make that not about you? And I think that's why I believe so much in the personal growth work because you just have to find that worth inside of yourself or else you're always going to be looking for it from everywhere outside of you and it's going to fail you. And you referenced the rejections. Would it matter if the rejection just came with no explanation or if the rejection came with feedback? Have there been any rejections that you look back and you go, I'm glad I was rejected? Yeah, totally. I think, again, too, just like in life, right, you, you look back at moments or you would have given anything to, to be in that relationship with that person and, and they broke up with you. And then you look back and you're like, wow, 
that would have been so bad if that relationship had continued and I would have missed out on all of this, you know? So I think very similar in, in acting, you know, you, you want a project so badly and then you get, you know, the news that you didn't get it. And then you might the next week get an audition for a project that's even better, but you would have never done that audition because you would have already been booked on that project, you know? So there, there does have to be a lot of, trust in, you know, whatever you believe in, the universe or um, yourself or whatever. But I think most of the time as an actor, you don't get any explanation at all. Uh, you just get rejected. And especially since I've produced, too, I know that so often it's not even close to about what the actor thinks it's about. You know, of course, as an actor, you're going, well, I, I, I clearly wasn't good enough, you know, in that audition. But so much of the time it's that, you know, that person had brown hair and we want someone that has blonde hair. Or that person is 5'5 five five and we need someone who's 5'3 because this actor is 5'4 and we want that person to wear heels. You know, there's so many factors that go into why someone gets the role and usually their talent or ability to play that character is unfortunately just one of the many things on the list. Megan, you shared the many talents that you host. So as we start to wrap things up, are there any hidden talents that you have that people would not suspect? Uh, I don't know if I have any hidden talents. I mean, I have a, an an uncanny ability to remember the lyrics to everything. So I don't know if that counts, but like the rap from Waterfalls by TLC, I did in second grade at the talent show, and I still can do the entire thing now. That is um, the talent. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's all I got. <laughs> my my weird ability to know the lyrics. No, I love that you brought them up. It's been such a long time that I've come across their music. I will look them up oh, right. thanks to you. I used to love them. Are there any new projects that are coming up? I am aware that you have the Christmas Family Reunion, and you could share with audiences what it, it's about. Yeah, I just, so the, um, I, the two projects that I finished within the last year, so within, you know, quarantine, I guess, time, uh, are both now in post-production and, and being, you know, um, finished up. One of them is a, a, a pilot that I shot in Buffalo, New York, um, with Michael Madsen and Daniel Baldwin uh, called For Nothing. That one was, it was so fun to work on. Um, I got to play an FBI agent who is taking on the Buffalo Mafia. Um, and... Nicholas Denman and Sean Gloria and Thomas Humphreys, who are the, you know, the creative team behind it, are so brilliant. And I, I love working with them. They're so much fun. We have so much fun on set. Um, and then the other project that I just finished is uh, The Christmas Family Reunion, which is a Ninth House production. Um, so Jake Helgren and, and Autumn are incredible, and I've worked with them before. And, uh, you know, they went through so much to to follow all of the COVID guidelines and to make sure everyone felt safe and, and felt secure working in the middle of, you know, all of this because we actually started shooting that right in the middle of the second surge in Los Angeles. Um, 
was a very scary time for a lot of people. But it was it was so much fun. You know, it's so much fun to do a Christmas movie. It's actually the first Christmas movie I've done. And we shot it after Christmas. So I kept my Christmas tree up for two months after Christmas. So I felt really fortunate because Christmas is my favorite holiday. I think it's so magical. So I got to experience it for, for months this year instead of just December. So I felt very lucky. And Jake's so much fun and he's so talented. And, you know, he had just done Dashing in December, which was such a great film. And so I felt very honored to work with with him and Autumn again. Also, you happen to reference the opportunities that you finished during COVID. Do you foresee that it will be similar circumstances to work on stage or on location about a year out? Is there any specific guidance given from Hollywood to actors and actresses at the moment for long-term planning? I have no idea what it will look like a year from now. I I don't I don't know when they're going to open theater again. I'm so excited for when they do because uh, I miss theater so much. But, you know, that's such a tricky one because that involves a whole bunch of people sitting in an auditorium right next to each other, which is in, inside. I mean, I think we, we might start to see first some kind of, um, you know, uh, different manifestations of things like Shakespeare in the Park which are theater that's done outdoors. Um, I could see that happening before uh, I could see theaters reopening indoors. Um, you know, at, hopefully as, as more and more people get vaccinated, things like that will start to become a reality again. Um, there's a lot of guidance from Hollywood in terms, because I'm SAG, so SAG has very strict rules about what sets can look like. And I don't know... I mean, I don't, I don't know that they even know the timeline on that kind of thing. I think it will just be determined by, you know, how long things seem to go on, you know, how many cases we seem to still have after, you know, hopefully most people are vaccinated. Do we reach some kind of a herd immunity? Do we start to see variants that aren't, you know, covered by the vaccine? I think all of those questions that nobody knows, um, will will determine what happens. But as of right now, there are a lot of guidelines in place in terms of testing. Um, I think on one project, I got tested six times in one week. There are a lot of guidelines in terms of masks and shields and distancing. And, and really, they've done, I feel, everything that they can do to make set a very safe place for everybody. And I haven't talked to an actor yet who didn't feel safe on set. I don't, I don't really know the answer to that question. I think it's, so much of it will depend on what we see in the next few months. You know? Reality is always changing. And finally, Megan, do you have any ritual that you entertain every day to ground you mentally and emotionally? So it's such a funny question because I used to be so into rituals. Like I had this candle I would light before every show and I would pray and then I would do this thing. And I started to realize that my need like to do those specific things had become kind of obsessive compulsive in the way that if I didn't have time to do them, then I already went out on stage or went out in front of the camera feeling like something was off, you know? So I started to actively move away 
from any kind of rituals in order to be more adept at being in the moment and being in the flow. That being said, though, every day, I mean, in terms of my everyday life, I, I do love meditation uh, because I just think that it's just time for me to, to ground myself and to center myself and, you know, to be grateful for all of the things that I have in this life. And But my favorite thing to do before performances is, this is going to be kind of embarrassing, but something that I call flying, which is that I put on headphones and I put on a song and I find some kind of area that's pretty empty and open like a parking lot. And I just put my arms out and kind of run around like a little kid, but to the music, you know, so if the music slows, then I'll slow down. And it's, for me, it's just about kind of finding that flow and, and finding that place inside where I'm listening. That sounds so liberating. It's pretty clear through the work that you do and the work that is available through your IMDB page. You're on Instagram at Maggie Davis. Are there any other places where audiences could visit you and support your work? Um, really just those uh, those two. Yeah, in Instagram. I, I, I enjoy Instagram. I tried to not be on it as much as I used to just because of, uh, I felt like during the pandemic, it was really reaching a, a place of, of not contributing in a positive way to my mental health, but mainly just because I lived alone during the pandemic. So it was, it was kind of like a faux sense of connection. But outside of that, and now I've, I've started using it a lot more again, um, it is a really fun place to connect with people that you wouldn't normally get to connect with. And I've actually talked to a lot of people. I got a message recently from someone who saw this play I did like six years ago. And it was the one role I've ever done that didn't have any lines. And I did it and I was so excited that she didn't have any lines because all of her acting had to come from her, just her body and her physicality. And oh, it wow. was my favorite role I've ever done. And this person wrote me about it and I was so excited because, you know, I felt like most people, it would not be their favorite because of course it wasn't like, you know, the, the one that's the most obvious in that way. So I always love talking to people on Instagram um, so that's probably the best way. And I want to thank you personally that I love the reality check and the passion that you bring to the craft because the work that I do on my platform focuses on professional um, self-development. And not only that, but you sprinkled it with its fair share of spirituality. So I want to thank you for that, Megan. And I wish you a lot of wonderful blessings to come. Thank you. And thank you so much for having me. And, and thank you for the work that you're doing as well to you know, move the world towards a hopefully better place for everybody. Likewise. Thank you.